Right, welcome. Um, this morning to, to Freedom, we are in the book of James. Um, as coming near the end, actually hard to believe, um, last one next week. But um, we are in James and in chapter 5, verse 7. So if you want to flip around and find that, you can do that while um, you get going. We're just going to pray and just ask for God's blessing on, on his word. So Father, I want to thank you for your presence this morning. Lord, we, we come to a great God. But we want to pray as we come to your word, as we just worship you, as we, we listen, as we receive. Father, I pray again, Lord, for those hearts that are willing to receive from you. Lord, do a deep work within our lives, within our hearts. Lord, for your glory, ultimately, but, but also, Lord, on the journey. Lord God, you bless us and you encourage us and you, Lord, you enable us. So, Father, we, we turn to you and we, we just say, the Holy Spirit, just come and just minister into our hearts right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that the majority of us would have to admit that we don't like waiting for anything. Not very patient, I'm certainly not very patient. Even as little children, we, we, we just want to expect things immediately. Certainly, we don't live in an age that is particularly patient. In fact, being patient seems, well, a little bit boring, doesn't it? You know, we want things now. In fact, Christmas and Easter are a perfect example of this. So Christmas decorations go into the shop around about September, if not a little bit earlier. And then as soon as Christmas finishes, you see the first little cream eggs beginning to appear on the supermarket shelves. And without too much time, then the enormous big chocolate eggs start to appear. And I don't think it's because people are desperately needing more chocolate. I don't think so. Nor do we feel the need to stock up early for Easter. No, in fact, as a nation, we are impatient for the next big event within our lives. We just can't wait. Things have to happen now. We're searching for pleasures, for satisfaction. We can't wait. In fact, our technology only makes things worse, doesn't it? Yes. In fact, how many of you you send a text to someone and then you don't get a reply within about... Two to three minutes, you start to get frustrated and angry. Am I right? Some of us do. And James says the conclusion, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient. That's where we're going today. Patiently enduring. And a genuine believer accepts God's timing and God's grace to cope even in suffering. They commit their hearts to faithfully serving God without grumbling and they set their souls, they set their lives on Christ day by day. So James chapter 5, verse 7 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rain in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience in suffering, 
dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord, we give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or on earth or anything else. Just simply let your yes, sorry, just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. And right at the very beginning of the book of James, we've seen it all the way through. So we've even got through from chapter 1 through to chapter 5. James is writing, he's telling the suffering Christians to be patient. He's encouraging them to patiently endure, to expect Jesus' return. Listen, Jesus Christ is coming soon. If some of you remember back to last year, we looked at the book of Revelation. All the, the prophetic words pointing to that moment when Jesus Christ will return. He is coming. The dead are going past. Jesus Christ is coming soon. And through all of life, even in the middle of suffering and trials, we need to keep strong in our faith, strong in courage. Where are you looking to? Or what are you looking to? Is Jesus Christ your Saviour? Is He your, your hope? Are you so taken up perhaps with the problems that you're facing in life or searching for pleasure that you've lost your courage, lost your faith? See, we, we all want to be happy, don't we? It's deep within each one. It's this desire for happiness within each one. Have you ever wondered why you crave pleasure so much? Why do you seek after things to fill your life? It's because you've been created with these desires for pleasure, for happiness. And your desire for happiness is normal. In fact, we should not be ashamed of that. The revivalist Jonathan Edwards writes, or wrote, the soul of every man craves happiness. This is a universal hunger. But the problem comes when we seek our happiness in sin. When we seek our happiness in anything other than the one true God. Because this is the path that will lead to addiction, to destruction. It leads to emptiness. Temporary pleasures will not satisfy, but they will control so how do you resist sin? See, the power to turn away from these passing pleasures of sin is not just simply the saying no campaign. You know, saying no doesn't work, does it? You tried it? I've tried it. You can do it for only a day or for even a week. Or if you're really good, a month. Woo! But eventually we just give in. So how do you resist sin? How do you fight these pleasures of sin? How do you patiently endure with another pleasure? And there is only one thing that will truly satisfy, one person that will truly satisfy. You see, holiness is not obtained through prohibiting or by threatening or by shaming or by guilt. It is obtained by believing in and trusting and resting in God's promises of a superior, pure happiness that comes only through falling in love with Jesus. 
the only way. And your goal and your purpose is the pursuit of happiness in God. And there is no greater way to glorify God. In fact, the reason you've been created in the first place is to give glory to God and to enjoy, yes, enjoy Him forever. That's why you crave happiness. That's what your heart is looking for. The joy of the Lord for Christ. Listen, He is for you in His Son. So will Jesus be enough? Is there enough for you in Christ Jesus? Listen, if that answer to that question is, is, is no or I'm not too sure, you don't know him well enough. Because Jesus Christ has everything you need. He's sufficient joy to keep your soul satisfied and to stop you from searching for other delights. Jesus, only Jesus, is enough for you right now and for eternity. He's enough. So how will you turn your heart from sin? Only one thing, Jesus. Jonathan Edwards again says, In Jesus the longing soul may be satisfied, and the hungry soul may be filled with goodness. The delight and the contentment that is found here passes understanding and is unspeakable and full of glory. It is impossible for those who have ever tasted of this fountain and know the sweetness of it ever to forsake it. The soul has found the river of water of life and it desires no other drink. It has found the tree of life and it desires no other fruit. Is that your experience of Jesus? Do you know him in that sort of level, in that Sort of way. So how do you patiently endure? Jesus. Only Jesus. I know some of you are struggling at the moment and be trapped with the, the rubbish of this world or trials or temptations or suffering. But my question is this, are you still drinking from another source? Are you still, are you still eating from another table? Listen, that will not satisfy you. You wonder why you're thirsty, why you're hungry. Listen, you drink in the water of life. Christ. Knowing Christ. Life is going to be difficult. That shouldn't shock any of us. <laughs> it shouldn't. Not until Jesus comes again that God is going to right all the wrongs of this world. Three times James reminds us here. He points us towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in James chapter five, verses seven to nine, because he knows that life is not easy. And this Bible, the Bible never promises it's going to be easy for us. So in John sixteen, he writes, "I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you are going to have many trials and many sorrows." But take heart, because I have overcome this world. You are to expect these problems. You are to patiently endure hardship until Jesus Christ comes again. But if you think that means we just simply put our heads down and we, we just keep ourselves to ourselves until Jesus comes, you've missed the whole point of that. That is not what James is saying here. In fact, the very opposite is true. Knowing that Jesus is coming gives us the courage to stand firm as a united people together in Christ. And James says, with courage, look up and keep looking to Jesus, only Jesus. 
not only build your faith, but he will be your joy and your satisfaction while you wait. It's no accident that this little section, this passage in James comes after what we, we um, read last week about the wealth-reliant attitude of this world. This Christ-loving attitude of verse 7 and 8 is such a contrast to this. But how are you living? Where are you finding your joy and your pleasure? You can patiently endure as you look forward to Jesus' return. So James gives us three examples, three encouraging examples of how to live. And each of them are rooted in knowing and finding our pleasure forevermore in Christ Jesus. The first example is that of the farmer, verses 7 to 9. I was brought up on a dairy farm, so I know a little bit about farming. No expert, just disclaimer there, okay? But I know just, just a, a little bit. At the weekends, I would help my dad milk the cows. And I would say, if I'm honest, with a fair bit of grumbling and complaining along the way, at 6.30 in the morning, I wasn't the happiest of people, I can assure you. And, but my dad would often tell me and reassure me and remind me that actually milking the cows was probably the best thing that was going to teach me patience within my life. Didn't help. You can't rush a cow. They will milk whatever speed they want to milk, and they, they often sort of kick the clusters off, and it, you need patience. And shouting at them doesn't work. I tried it. Shouting louder still doesn't work. In fact, it makes things worse generally. But my dad also used to like, or used to breed um, cattle and, and, and cows and, and bulls, and he was always looking for that excellent cow. That is a thing, by the way. You can get an excellent cow classified as excellent. Looking for that perfect milk yield. But of course, when a cow is born, you have no idea whether it's a dove or whether it's going to be the best cow that you've ever had in your life. So calves take time to grow. They take time to develop over years. They grow from birth to become this healthy, milk-producing cow. But one of the jobs that I would often do would be to feed the little, little calves when they're just freshly born. Quite good fun in many ways, but extremely frustrating at the same time. And often the only way you'd get them to drink was to stick their head in a bucket of milk with your hand in the milk, they would suck on your fingers, and as they sucked, they would take in some milk at the same time. It's really quite back-breaking work. You're spending time bending over all the time, and your fingers get a little bit raw from the roughness of the, of the tongue. And I have to admit, at times, I would just get a bit frustrated. So I developed an alternative method as well to, to help me along. So when I just got to the point where I just had had enough, I would take whatever was left in the bucket of milk and just pour it over the top of the calves. Principle of osmosis, I think. Very scientific. It was really, really good for relieving my frustration. It was completely ineffective, of course, for feeding calves. And for calves to grow up, they needed their food. They needed also to learn how to feed. And I needed to learn patience. Still learning. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in the saying that an impatient man will not make a good farmer. And James, he picks up this illustration, this idea of the Christian as a spiritual farmer looking for spiritual harvest. 
the illustration that he uses is not about livestock but about seed, seed that grows into plants and then is harvested. And our heart is the soil and the seed is the word of God. And there are seasons in our spiritual life just as there are seasons for soil. And sometimes our hearts become cold and wintry and Jesus has to plough to break up the soil of our hearts before he can plant the seed. Jeremiah 4.3 Break up your unploughed ground and do not sow among thorns. And the trials and the challenges and the pains within your life and you're wondering, God, what are you doing in this process? But very often God is ploughing up our hearts the soil of our hearts, getting it ready, preparing it for his seed of his word that may grow, that may produce fruit, may produce a harvest within our lives. But God is also the one who sends the sunshine. He is the one who sends the rain of his mercy and his goodness to water and to nurture the plants. But you must be patient as you wait for the harvest. And the secret to endurance when life is tough and things are getting difficult is to realize what God is doing in that process, that God is producing a harvest within your life. You need to learn the lesson that the farmer knows only too well. If you cannot do this yourself, but actually you have to wait. You have to patiently wait on what God is doing in that process. God wants the fruits of his spirit to grow. Love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the way that he does this so often is through trials and troubles. But instead of growing impatient with God and with others, you need to submit yourself to God to permit these fruits to begin to grow within your life. And we are, at least I hope we are, we are looking for a harvest. For God, by his Spirit, to do something miraculous within our lives. I'll be willing to do whatever it takes for that to happen. But we will not enjoy this kind of harvest if our hearts are not established in Christ. If we do not find our pleasure and our joy in Jesus Christ alone. Romans chapter 1 verse 11, Paul talks about the purpose of the local church. That is to see God's people grow strong in the Lord for faith to be established so that they may bear fruit. Listen, this is the work of God. God builds his church. God strengthens his people. God produces these fruits to grow within our lives. This is the work of the Spirit. You cannot do this. God does this. God does this within your life. But that does not mean for a moment that a good farmer just stands around waiting and doing nothing. He is constantly at work preparing for the harvest. So James is not telling you just to put your feet up and just to wait for Jesus to return. He's telling you to keep working and to keep waiting, to wait and to work. And this waiting is an active process and it's the focusing of our energy into the right direction, into Christ into him. And from him we will actually begin to affect the world around us. And this outward working of this, James goes on to add, he talks about how the good farmer doesn't end up fighting with their neighbouring farmers. 
skin when we were growing up. Actually, there was a very good relationship among our local farmers around us. So when it came to harvest time for us, that was cutting silage and, and, and hay because there's dairy, a dairy farming area. The neighbouring farmers would often come around and help us out and we would return the favour to them. Also, at times, Dad would share buying machinery with other people. They would lend each other stuff. There was just this willingness to help one another out. No one on a farm has time to waste energy fighting and disputing with their neighbour. I guess that's what James had in mind when he wrote verse 9. But impatience with God often leads to impatience with God's people. And this is a sin that we must avoid. And the antidote, Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. The second example that James uses here is that of the prophets in verse 10. And the Jewish audience that James is writing to would have understood this simple reference to the prophets, to the Old Testament prophets. And James makes two points here. The first is this. The prophets were in the will of God, however, they were still suffering. They're actually, they're, they're speaking the very words of God, they're preaching in the name of God, but they're facing persecution. Now, they're not suffering because they have sinned or they have been unfaithful to God, but their suffering was because of their faithfulness. 2 Timothy 3.12 Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You don't see that in many bumper stickers, do you? <laughs> or any fridge magnets. You know, it's not a verse you said, oh yeah, oh. let me give you a verse from Second Timothy to encourage you. But actually it is encouraging because it speaks into our lives, does it not? To the reality of where we live so often. You must never think that that obedience is going to automatically just ease the pleasures of life. You see, if, you, if you're just looking for your pleasures in your circumstances, for everything to be easy around you, listen, you're going to be devastated because the Bible has never promised that. But if you find your pleasure in Christ and in Christ alone, you find your joy in Him, the one who does not change, the one who satisfies completely, the one who's your hope for now and for eternity, if you find joy and satisfaction in Him, Listen, whatever happens around, the circumstances may not be easy to deal with, but actually they will not rob you of joy because He is your joy. You get it? He is our joy for now and forever. We understand this. It changes how we view life, and in fact it changes how we view eternity. It changes everything. And also, don't forget, the greatest example of all, Jesus. And obedience led him to a cross. But there's also some hope in this because the prophets also remind us of God's care for us when we go through sufferings for his sake. The story of Elijah, great, some great stories in there, but Elijah, he went one day to the wicked king Ahab to tell them that there's going to be a drought in the land for three and a half years. Now, I'm pretty sure Elijah wasn't jumping for joy, because bear in mind, when there's drought in the land, that affects him just as much as it affects Ahab. However, if you read the story, you see how God cares 
for him, how God provides food for him. In fact, how God gives him victory over the evil prophets of Baal. The story of Daniel, if you know it, best known for the lion's den incident. Well, Daniel went through a great deal of hardship, but the Lord delivered him. And there's real truth in the statement that the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. So if you're struggling at the moment with trials, difficult situations, if you're facing, God's grace is enough. It's also worth, when we go through a difficult time, just to stop for a moment, just to examine our own hearts, just to make sure that we're not in that situation because of our own sin and our own disobedience. If that is the case, you come to God, you repent of that sin. There is forgiveness in in and through Jesus Christ. But so often, it may not be of your own doing at all, but trust God that he will never lead you where his grace cannot keep you. But it still begs the question, why? Why did the prophet endure difficulties and trials? At least one of the reasons is to do with the way in which they lived, because their lives would become part of the message. Don't underestimate the huge amount of impact and power that a faithful, godly life carries. As we need to constantly remind ourselves that patience in the face of suffering and trials is an incredible testimony to everyone around us. Just over 12 months last week since Sue, a dear friend, that some of you here passed away. And there are a few lives that modelled this level of walking faithfully before God the way Sue did. Listen, what she spoke was matched up by the way in which she lived. The last couple of years of her life going through sometimes a great deal of pain. It never rocked her for a moment because her hope was in Christ in Christ alone. And as you live faithfully before God in all circumstances, he receives the glory that is due to him. And when we find our joy and our satisfaction in him, his name is honoured and this world takes notice. The third illustration is that of Job, verse 11 and 12. One way be right. There can be no victory without a battle. There is no mountain top without a valley. And if you want the blessing, you must be prepared to carry the burden and fight the battle. See, there is a cost in following Jesus. The illustration I want to use is that of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul describes how he's caught up to the third heaven as this incredible encounter with God. We're not even told what that really was all about, but it was just too marvellous for words. And as a result of that, God gives him a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble. And there's a sense in which God seems to balance privileges with responsibilities, blessings with burdens. Because he knows your heart better than you will ever know your own heart. And God will protect you against pride. And uncontrolled pride can be devastating in our lives. It can make us turn into spoiled children. And God 
blesses the humble. So James teaches this blessing comes after enduring. And so if we look a little bit closer, this man called Job. In fact, the truth is we have to search long and hard to find a better example of someone who suffered more than Job. And, and Job's circumstances were certainly against him. He lost everything that he cared about. The book of Job is a long book of speeches. It's actually difficult to read in places. A little bit tedious, if I'm honest. But it begins where Satan predicts that Job will become impatient with God, that he will abandon his faith if he has to face some trials and some difficulties. Of course, that does not happen. And Job endures family tragedy, financial ruin, crippling illness, rubbish friends. He experiences the very worst that we could ever possibly face. In fact, he even seems that God is against him. When Job cries out to God for help, heaven is strangely quiet in that moment. And Job definitely endures. And it's so important for us to notice that Job has got no idea what's going on in his life at that moment. He hasn't got a clue. At that time, his friends are telling him that he has probably committed some terrible sin or that he's a hypocrite. And Job defends himself. He maintains his innocence. He's not saying he's perfect, but he maintains his innocence. However, his friends are wrong and God has nothing against Job. But it's very true that Job just doesn't understand. He questions God's will. He certainly wants some answers from God. But he never turns in his faith against God. Job 13, 15. He says, Though God slay me, I will hope in him. And Job persisted. And he was so sure of God's goodness that even though he didn't understand what God was doing, he kept going. That is endurance. And Job teaches us that God has got a higher purpose in our suffering. And Job's suffering both paves and also points the way towards Christ. There's something just of, you see, something of the love of Christ and how he deals with this. And this perfect son of God who suffered, but not for, not for his sin, but for your sin, for my sin. But it's worth noting what's the end purpose of Job's situation. God, God reveals himself to be tender in mercy and love, and Job endures. In fact, his endurance ultimately brings glory to God. In fact, as we heard already, God's goal is for his own glory. And the outcome of this is also even greater blessing for him. Again, Job neither expects this or knows what God is doing in this process, but listen, God will show you compassion and mercy. He never wastes the suffering of his people. And Job met God in a new way, in a deeper way, that in itself would, be, would have been enough for him. But after all of that, he also received greater blessing from God. Of course, we could argue that if God is so merciful and so gracious, why did he not step in in the first place? Why allow Job to suffer in this particular way at all? And I've got to acknowledge that I don't know the answer to all those questions. There's some things about the mystery of God, the hows and the whys of how God works that our infinite minds cannot begin to understand. But this I do know is that God was glorified, that Job was purified through this experience. And listen, if there is nothing to endure, we will never learn endurance. So what do we learn from this story? Very quickly. 
there are many trials in life and they are caused directly by Satan. God is good beyond measure. But God permits Satan to test his children, but he always limits the extent of the enemy's power. Like Peter in Luke chapter 22, Jesus says this, Simon, Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. And as Simon is going through probably one of the most critical moments and the critical challenges of faith in probably all of his life, Jesus is praying to him. Jesus is praying that he would persevere through this. But what is the purpose of this? So that he would strengthen his brothers, that his faith would be stronger as a result of it. Now our faith is refined through suffering and trials. That is why God permits them. The second thing is that Satan wants to get, wants you to get impatient with God. See, an impatient Christian is a powerful weapon in the devil's hands. Abraham is a good example of this. His impatience led to the birth of Ishmael, the enemy of the Jews. Peter's impatience nearly made him a murderer. So when Satan attacks, it's very easy for us to get angry with God. When you get impatient, you run ahead of God, you tend to walk in a different direction to God, and you miss out on the results of God's blessing through those challenges, through those difficulties. The third thing is this. We learn that God's grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The context of this verse comes out of that moment when Paul got that thorn in the flesh. We've spoken about it already. He's going through this pain that people, many theologians think it may, may be in his eyesight. We're not 100% sure, but there's, this is something that Paul could easily try to fight or to deny, but he didn't. Instead, he trusts God for the grace that he needs. And he turns the Satan's weapon into a tool to build up his own spiritual life. When you find yourself suffering and the heat is turned up, you go to Jesus for the grace that you need to endure. Remind yourself that Jesus is both graciously and gloriously have got a purpose in everything that you're going through and that he will work out his will in his time and for his glory and that you are loved by God. You are such a privilege to be part of a wonderful and yet mysterious plan. But it's so important that we live with an eternal perspective. See, unless we have this eternal view of our life, we will not endure. You need to daily remind yourself that Jesus is with you now and in, this, in, the, in the age that is to come. So that we can patiently endure. If you do not know Jesus to be your pleasure and your satisfaction, circumstances will crush you. So again, I don't know what you're facing right now. But he knows. And he loves you deeply. And he will show his compassion and his grace. And you can trust his word. You can trust the word that James is bringing to us here. Listen, he will never let you down. But listen, don't forget to pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for 
those Christians that you know that are suffering at this moment, remember the promises that we've already heard from James that real things happen in answer to prayer that would not have happened if you hadn't prayed. But more than that next week. But for now, you can grow up. You can mature. You can find joy and pleasure and satisfaction only in Christ. It's not to be complicated. You turn to Him. In whatever situation you're facing, you turn to Him. For the joy that was before Christ, He endured the cross. Why? For the blessing that can come through to you. Forgiveness and hope and life. And as you bring yourself back to the cross of Jesus, in whatever life looks like, listen, He will satisfy. His grace is enough. There's resources beyond your imagination that most of us never even tap into. So, Father, as we close, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would lift our heads, lift our eyes, Lord. Lord, give us that eternal perspective. Lord, open, open our eyes, Lord God, I pray today to see, to see glory. See reality. Or not the reality this world wants to show us, but the reality, Lord, that is yours. The reality that has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ at the cross. And Father, I pray that my friends here and myself, Lord, would be filled afresh with your spirit. That you would lift our gaze wonder in the glory of who you are that we would find our joy and our satisfaction in you and in you alone today and tomorrow and this week and this month and this year and forever. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. spent during the worship and been carrying it all the way through the preach and feel I can't really go home without bringing it so um, during the worship um, my attention was drawn to Isaiah 61, it's a passage you'll know really really well, also quoted in Luke and I think another gospel Um, it's the year of the Lord's favour the spirit of the Lord God is upon me Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, 
and the oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And what I never noticed before when I was looking at that during the worship time is that an oak in nature is a strong, beautiful, majestic tree and it takes a long time to grow. So who are the people that God is calling to be oaks of righteousness? The poor, the brokenhearted, those who are bound up, those who are captive, those who are mourning, those who have a faint spirit. And my sense is just that we ask God to plant in us that which he wants to plant, that we don't try and build anything else. You know, we don't want any of this for ourselves when, when we were saying earlier in the service about looking to him for breakthrough yeah. and for the breaking of chains and mm. the pulling down of strongholds. Yeah. We want the Lord to plant his things yeah. and that's going to take time. Mm. But also there can be those incredible breakthroughs mm. like that that yeah. come during moments in time, yeah. you know, where you never, you, you're just never the same again. Yeah. Um, and so that was my sense that, you know, we pray for the Lord to mm. plant the yeah. just yeah, please. Yeah. I'll, I'll pray for you. Yeah. <laughs> Father, Father, we take your word. And Lord, this is where it begins to take root because we, we have applied it to our hearts. And Lord, this, Lord, the message from James, the message we've heard read as well, is, Lord, is. It's not popular these days because we're looking for that instant gratification, Lord. And so, Lord, I want to pray, first of all, Lord, forgive us when we're looking in the wrong places. Lord, forgive us when we are looking for that quick fix. Lord, that we think that, Lord, we just need that that quick answer, Lord God, when you promised us, Lord, that joy of the Lord is for those who patiently endure. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, you'd put, you begin, Lord, just to soften, our, Lord, as you ply up our hearts, Lord, as you, Lord, whatever that, whatever that means in our lives, in our situations, Lord, we, Lord, we, we just want to say, Lord, we're, we're willing, first of all, Lord, for that to happen. And I, I need to warn you that there's, there's, a, there's a pain that comes with this. You know, so we, we just pick up what we're praying for. There's a pain that comes with, with giving everything to God. But there's so much growth, so much fruit. As God begins to work, as God sends his mercy, as God pours the rain of his blessing, as God brings the sunshine to bring life. And there's this hardness, there's hard times that we that breaks things up, but also there's the, the blessing and the, the joy of the Lord, which is our strength in those times. I pray that over our lives right now. Lord, for those who are really struggling at this moment, Lord, who are going through the Father, I pray, Lord, for 
the joy of the Lord to be strength today. But Lord, I pray also for that endurance, Lord. For we want we want we want men and women, young people here, Lord, who are sold out for you, Lord God, who are passionate for you, who want to grow strong in you, who want to be mighty oaks of God. And Father, I just want to prophesy that over uh, over the folks here, Lord, mighty oaks, Lord God, you're building and you're growing mighty oaks, Lord Jesus. But Lord, we we acknowledge, Lord, that's going to be a time. That's going to take time in our lives. But Lord, we also want to ask that you would do that work today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to come and chat about anything that you've heard today, do come and catch me or others around. We'd love just to pray with you if that's appropriate, if you need prayer for anything. Um, Also... um, there's some tea and coffee at the back, of course. Do hang around, do 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 chat. It's a it's a, it's a heavy, it's a it's a it's a it's a weighty. But then God's word is some there's a weight there's a weight that comes with God's word as God's spirit applies it to our hearts. Listen, I encourage you as well. The applying of this doesn't just come by sitting here on a Sunday morning. It comes through time in God's presence in the week. It comes through daily seeking His face. And if you want to take this seriously going to mean some of you getting up early in the morning. It's going to mean carving time in your days to spend time in God's presence. But listen, we want, a, we want a church here that is passionate for the Word of God and filled with the Spirit of God. You know, and that's going to take time. We're going to be patiently waiting and enduring, but we're going to find our joy in Christ, in Christ alone. That's where we're going. That's where I believe we're going. But listen, there's going to be some wonderful times ahead. There's going to be some challenging times ahead. But in Christ, He is everything that we need. And if we can get that, if we can understand that, it's going to change us individually, but it's going to change us as a body of people.